We're finding out more about this uh, Cam H patient who uh, boarded an international flight, just walked away from Cam H, boarded an international flight on the 3rd of July and um, is no longer in the country. He uh, committed uh, murder against somebody that lived in a rooming house with him, but he was found not criminally responsible. There are a lot of questions that uh, Carly Weeks has been working to answer. She's a health reporter for the Globe and Mail and wrote quite a comprehensive column on what she's learned today in the Globe and Mail. Welcome to the show, Carly. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Let's start off with um, what you know about uh, when Mr. Kong went missing from CAMH. He was uh, on a day pass, is that correct? Yes. So basically, he had been granted, I think, a a year or maybe even a couple of years prior, some privileges because he he had sort of shown a lot of progress, you know, since he had been um, detained there after um, being found not criminally responsible in the murder of someone else. So basically, um, you know, what happens in these cases are the patients constantly are being assessed and treated and things like that, and they earn privileges based on how well they're doing. So he had been out number a number of times um you know and he uh was part of some um walking group and and things like that like sort of trying they were really trying to integrate him into the community but he didn't he wanted to go home to china that was the big point of contention so he was basically um had earned that privilege he had shown many times that he would leave and come back and leave and come back and that's what they expect of these patients obviously is that they do come back after their sort of day pass um is up and in this case he failed to return and that's when the police were notified, um, but not the public. And that's also obviously a point of contention because the public didn't actually learn about this for a couple of weeks um, after. You know, just this week we were learning that he actually he actually fled and he's gone. Carly, let me just ask you one question. Um, I'm not sure how um, deep you delved into this, dove into it. The walking group was this with CAMH with other patients, or with the, was this member of the members of the community that had no idea about his past? So. My understanding, and I don't know all of the details here, uh, which I, we may be finding out a little bit more today, but that what they try and do at CAMH is they do try and get a lot of these patients to go out in the community and with, with groups that would know about their conditions. You know, they would know that these people are, um, you know, uh, patients at this psychiatric facility and they would know their sort of backstory. And so I believe from what my understanding is that this was a group they were um, somehow involved, I think, in the Chinese community. Uh, he's from China. And so the, the, his doctors for a long time, they were really urging him to take this step because the ultimate goal for these patients, it's a, it's a little bit mind-bending, I think, for a lot of people because when you're found not criminally responsible, you're not treated like a prisoner, and so you you the whole the ultimate goal is to reintegrate these people into society, and it can be very difficult for people to understand. But that's the way our, our sort of system works because you know the, these people have very debilitating, serious mental illnesses, and you know it's they, they're they're not criminally responsible at the time. So you know they wanted to get him integrated. They wanted him to find a place to live in Toronto. He said no. He he didn't want to take um, English as a second language classes because his whole thing was I'm. Going going home to China. He's talking to his mom on Skype. He didn't want to be here. And he couldn't understand why they kept saying he needed to find a place to live in Toronto or Canada before he would be discharged. So this was this real bone of contention. And I think what we saw escalate after that, his most recent hearing in front of this, what we call the Ontario Review Board, was on May 9th, or May 9th was when the decision was released, I should say. And that was a real um, sticking point, is that, you know, how are we going to get this individual um, what's his future going to look like if he won't 
participate. He doesn't want to integrate into Canada. He just wants to leave. And they said, you basically can't leave until you have a place to live. So you see, it was kind of this, um, uh, there, everyone felt, I guess, backed into a corner. You know, there was no great uh, strategy for moving forward. And so, you know, it's hard to say what happened. But obviously, he did take that step to leave and leave the country. In your column, you make uh, several mentions of the fact that it seemed almost like the amount of mentions of uh, times that Mr. Kong mentioned uh, to uh, the people at CAMH that he wanted to go back to China seems almost like it was obsessive. It's all he thought about. In a sense, you know, like that is obviously one of the things that does come through loud and clear is that this is an individual. I think he came to Canada in 2010. Like, it's not as though he's been here for a very long time, can't speak English very well, you know, so, and and I think, you know, according to these documents from the Ontario Review Board, he had basically made remarkable progress. You know, he was medicated, going through treatment, things like that. So maybe he was at the point where he's feeling better and saying, as they're talking about discharging him, this is what he's thinking. Like, I need to leave. I need to get out of here. I want to go back home to where my mother is. And, um, you know, in hindsight, you know, we were having this discussion yesterday, you know, like, so what did that look like? You know, should people have seen these, the writing on the wall and that sort of thing? You know, it, it's a good question, hindsight being 2020 and what it is, you know, but I did take the, the occasion to read through a number of case studies yesterday of other patients who've gone AWOL um, from CAMH. In those cases, the patients were typically found very quickly and none of them committed any crimes while they were you know, away from the facility, except there was one individual who actually did rob a bakery and a convenience store. Obviously, that's not a good situation. But what becomes clear in these cases is these are people that have led very troubled lives. They're dealing with some very serious illnesses, and they're very, very sad stories. And in a lot of cases, they are looking for a way out. You know, some of them don't like the fact that they're being detained in a very secure unit. You know, they, they, they really, and there's not a lot of options for them. It's, it's, it's sad all around. I want to ask you about uh, Mr. Kong and not only what his diagnosis was, what you learned about that, but um, let, let's start with let's start with that. So he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, and obviously, I'm not a doctor, but you know that's a very serious diagnosis. And so, at the time when he um, it was found, I guess it, like this this murder that occurred, and he was found not criminally responsible, he was you know deemed not responsible for that because of the mental illness. Now. People with schizophrenia can be functioning members of society. They're, they're, they're violent. They, there's very, very rare occasions when individuals with schizophrenia um, do commit acts of violence. And in fact, statistics show they're more likely to have a crime committed against them, a violent crime committed against them. Um, you know, that being said, you know, here is an individual who, you know, we often see these stories play out in a similar way, you know, sort of a person who seems to show these signs of mental illness. There's a decline. There's a very, you know, some very bad things that can happen. Um, in some, in very rare cases, they end up, you know, committing some sort of crime, and it's a tragic situation. But in, in these cases, the way Canada's system was set up with this not criminally responsible designation is that these people are sick, and if they get help and they participate in their treatment, they can then, you know, sort of earn these privileges, and then the goal is let's integrate them into society. There's... Um, 1,600 patients that are being overseen by the Ontario Review Board. So these are people that would have some sort of dealings with, you know, the, the like with crime. 
and some of them have been found not criminally responsible. Um, and a lot of them are living in the community. You know, they, they're just so it's worth noting. You know, they, there's a lot of cases where these very a lot of success stories, I should say. Where right. People do. You know, they're, they're able to reintegrate. They're able to lead productive lives and that kind of thing. And I think that's why this story's caught so much attention because it's pretty wild to imagine that someone who has been living at this facility for several years is basically able to take that day pass that he's used many, many times and then basically go to the airport, get on a plane, and, uh, you know, a couple weeks later, we find out the guy's gone. I think it's, it's, a good, it's a good time to bring in the fact that it was an indirect supervision pass from CAMH, and you state that it means he was allowed uh, into the community unescorted, Ooh. but a, a CAMH member could check in on him. I think that that is what uh, people will be shaking their heads at. This is a guy who uh, did kill someone with a meat cleaver. He was found not criminally responsible for that, but it still happened. That's worrisome for, for people um, not to be insensitive uh, about his you know situation and, and mental illness. But how likely was he to reoffend again or at least reoffend if he went off his meds? Did you find out? So there's actually studies that have looked at these kinds of things. And so what they found is that um, one study found that people who have basically after they've been discharged, and typically these sorts of patients are not just sort of discharged and left on their own. There's typically some contact with the healthcare system that continues for a long time to come. Um, like if they are living in the community, they're expected to go back to the a facility and get treatment, get medication, that kind of thing. So it's never like the idea is that they're there they have that contact that's maintained so what this study found this canadian study found is that um of those people who are discharged 17 percent will reoffend within three years and of those offenses less than one percent involve serious violent crimes so the idea is that this system when it's working when people are participating in it it works now i think one of the main questions when people go a wall and i saw mm-hmm. this in a lot of the documents yesterday the big question is okay now what because they're not they don't have access to medication they don't have access to this treatment team and that's where it is concerning one of the big questions i had yesterday is where you know is he ever going to have access to this where he is and can he get this medication because this is someone who's who has an illness he has a sickness he needs treatment. And so I think that is a big concern going forward. Like, yes, he had indirect supervision. So people who are allowed out and they sort of are allowed to have that um, indirect, you know, contact. So basically, you know, they could go to a family member's house or a doctor's appointment or to some sort of other social setting. But they know that someone from CAMH or another mental health facility, you know, depending on where they live, might come in and check on them. And this system does seem to work. Again, it seems a little odd because we know that he's, you know, been involved in this very awful crime, you know, if I'm not criminally responsible and all of those things. But it is, it's, it's, I think it's very difficult to marry those two things. And this is what the, this system is designed to do, to rehabilitate patients, but also you have to, you know, protect the community. So how do you do that? And obviously in every single case, it's, it, you know, there might be glitches along the way. I, everyone I talked to yesterday, no one could even sort of fathom or imagine this kind of thing happening. And so it's, wow, now that this has happened, what do we do now? How do we prevent this from ever happening again? And what does Cam H say about that? So this is a good question. Like, they're, they're saying to us that their physician-in-chief is going to be reviewing all privileges and day passes. So they're going to be reassessing everybody. So anybody who has that, those passes, they're looking at them again, especially people who are allowed out unsupervised. Um, so I think that that's something that will perhaps reassure a lot of people. We don't know a lot of details about that. When's that review going to begin? And, what are, you know, is it, is, it, is it actually going to result in some people not getting their passes? You know, sort of the mental health 
um, community, you know, I'm, I it might actually express alarm at that, saying, okay, this, these are people who are actually abiding by the system. You've got, you know, they've got 200, um, approximately 200 patients who are in the forensic unit. So 200 people who basically are in, the, they've, they've been involved in some sort of crime and they're patients of CAMH, so now they're all going to have their privileges, you know, looked at again. Other people would say, this is obviously a very appropriate move, and maybe we do need to clamp down because this guy was able to get on a plane and leave the country. Well, why, Carly, why are they so vague about where he might have gone? I mean, it clearly sounds like he was obsessed with China. Isn't that the first place you check? It it would be hard to imagine him going anywhere else, especially given the fact that he, you know, he, he doesn't have a strong command of the English language. Um, so it seems, you know, connecting all the dots, it's hard to imagine where else he would have gone. But the police are being very tight-lipped mm-hmm. about this. You know, they're saying, oh, well, we didn't inform the public because we were told he was low-risk and all of these things. You know, we have no idea what's going on inside of the police. But, you know, as a journalist, we do know that they're not super forthcoming with a lot of information in the best of times. So, you know, I think that in these cases, um, transparency helps. It really helps assure people and reassure them that, you know, people actually know what's going on and they're protecting us. And, you know, when did the police know? Did they just figure this out a couple of days ago? Um, how was he able to sort of get on this plane? And yeah, that's no the big question, question Carly. <laughs> did you find anything about the uh, passport? How was he able to obtain a passport? Yeah, so I am not clear on where his passport was. Like, what you know, because he must have had one. He got to Canada. Mm-hmm. So where, where was it in that period? It's not entirely clear. But what I did hear yesterday... Um, is that there would not necessarily be any restrictions on his passport. So, you know, we know that some people who've been, you know... Wait a minute. The guy killed somebody with a meat cleaver and there's no restrictions on his passport? This is... And this is something that we're going to try and get a better understanding of. But from what we know, there's not necessarily anything that would have stopped him from travel. And so (laughs) I think then there are some good questions to be asked there. And this is information that I was giving yesterday from people who do work in forensic psychology, who do work in these facilities. So that's something that we need to really clear up. I think that that is surprising to a lot of people, especially given the fact, I mean, these people are, like, for the most part, until they're discharged, they're detained. And a lot of them Mm -hmm. are, are, like, he was not allowed to travel. There was a report, um, one of the reports on his treatment last year, I believe, said he was not being granted travel passes to China, you know, so he he wanted to go. They're saying no, he's not cleared for this. Um, the 2019 report doesn't really seem to mention anything about travel, so it's not entirely clear what the actual status is. But obviously, he wasn't. He had no permission to do this. Well, he had no permission to stay out for more than a day pass either. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of questions, I think, that need to be asked. So Cam Mm -hmm. H is saying, you know, we're going to reassess things, we're investigating, and blah, blah, blah. So that's great. However, you know, what's to stop someone else from, you know, abusing the system in this way and then taking off and leaving the country? Is is there something in place? And we don't know the answer to that. And how terrifying is it if you find out later you're on the same flight as he was? I you mean, know, I the potential I'll, for him being off his meds, a lot of relatively would, high. A lot of people would find that very, very scary. And, and the people I talked to yesterday who work in this area say they understand, yeah, why the public would be so concerned. These people, when medicated, when they're getting treatment, you know, treatments work. But, yeah. you know, when they're not, what happens then? You know, I, I, I'm not suggesting that this guy is going to go out and do commit the same crime. But he's rec- a recognized danger to the public. And so this needs to be addressed. You know, that's, and there's a lot of concerns here. Carly, I thank you for your time today. You've been very generous with it. And uh, there's a great article in the Globe and Mail that Carly uh, Weeks, uh, the health reporter for the Globe, wrote about this subject. Thank you so much. 
Thank you for having me. Cheers.